Championship at Royal Port Rush. We we had all the action that we would expect from a Lynx golf course and the final major of the year, Elk. Yeah, it was it was a you know it's one thing <clears throat> to get up early in the morning and watch the golf. It's kind of it's kind of cool to get up and have coffee and sit there for a few hours and you know the whole thing's over by noon. But you know everybody kind of got what they wanted to over the course of the week. You know they got to see all different storylines but at the end of this of this great tournament we saw what Ireland has produced you know they got this great golf course they even brought the weather in to test all these players on Sunday and they got a homegrown champion. I mean, what else could have been better for this tournament? It, it really was amazing. And I think the fact that golf, major golf, the Open Championship was back in Northern Ireland, was it was a triumph. It, there was so much around this. It was the first time that the Open had been held out with Scotland or England in 68 years. The, there was a lot of names, and we'll go in and talk about Shane Lowry, obviously, and Rory, we'll talk about him too. But so much build-up and anticipation, and it was a massive success. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted out early yesterday morning before Shane Lowry teed off that I thought this could possibly be the greatest coronation of a golfer embraced by a country. I mean, I don't even know if it could have got even bigger. I mean, I thought to myself for a minute, what if this was Rory playing? Mm-hmm. Would it be any bigger? Probably not. I mean, Shane Lowry, pretty much Diane represents the every man in Ireland. He kind of looks like them. He, uh, he has the beard. He's uh, maybe a couple pounds overweight. He comes from a local club. Uh, he had a local caddy that was just down the road that was a really good player his own right. He had a big beard. I mean, it was like watching... You know, he won this. He won the Irish Open on this course yeah. uh, as an amateur. I mean, this guy, I, I had convinced myself, Diane, that if the weather got bad, to me, um, and I want to talk about this, that there was no way that anyone was going to catch Shane Lowry in the bad weather. Okay, that's interesting because the tea times were moved up on Sunday by two hours because the bad weather was forecast, which I read a lot on social media, a lot of people saying they shouldn't have moved the tea times. We want the bad weather. It's all part of the final day of the Open. But the weather was bad and we did see those really challenging conditions. And as a result, the scores in the afternoon were so high. I don't think I saw anyone that was under par in the afternoon wave. Yeah, I think the 30... the I think there was wherever you split the field in half, I mean, out of the last dozen groups where all the pressure was, you know, Lowry shot the lowest round, which was 73. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said that, <clears throat> as you know, um, growing up in Scotland yourself, if you don't go out and play golf in the rain, y- you don't get to play. Mm-hmm. So the reason I said that I thought once the weather got bad that Lowry would have the bigger advantage is because he's, he has so much experience in, in the rain. And to me, it was becoming this perfect storm. And what, I, what do I mean by perfect storm? Well, it was on the right golf course. It was the right weather. And it had the right in the right country for this, this young man to win this event. He has grown up playing Lynx golf. And, you know, for those that, that watch the tournament, but maybe saying, well, what are you talking about? You know, you can't just go out there and overpower it. You know, like uh, Brooks Kepka couldn't do much on Sunday. There's no way to 
shoot 65 in that weather, shoot 66. So it became Larry. Can he manage to chess match his way away from these bunkers, yeah. away from the gorse, or out of trouble? And, you know, he got off to a little shaky start, but he never was really at any 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 trouble. Mm-mm. And first round went out there and shot a 67. It's one of those things that... Even at that point, you think, oh, this is too good to be true. With the Open being in Northern Ireland, an Irishman going out there, is he going to sustain that for four days? And you almost doubt it, but then he followed it up with a 67 on Friday and then that 63 on Saturday. And after that happened, that must have been, I mean, you're a major champion. That must have been the hardest 24 hours for him having to wait. I mean, it wasn't even 24 hours, but from finishing on Saturday night to teeing off on Sunday, that must have been a very anxious time for him yeah i mean it's no man's land right it's like you don't you know that you're not going to play until 2 30 or, or noon in the afternoon and you just what you're trying to go to bed and you can't close your eyes but mm-hmm. i listened to shane larry on some of the things they talked about what he said about his, you know in that time how he spent it and he said that when he gets under a lot of pressure, he likes to talk about it because he felt like if he doesn't talk about it, he's just around the family and he's not not speaking about this pressure that they know is there, mm-hmm. then it, it festers up and it becomes a real problem. So, um, you know, he said some of the typical things that we hear, which is like a pressure valve, which he said, well, whether my whether I win this thing tomorrow or not, my two-year-old daughter is still going to hug me. And But I also think that, and we can talk about Rory McIlroy and how he didn't quite get out of this event, but it sort of did in a, in a strange way because he was able to come back and play really well on Friday. But I actually think that Shane Lowry was probably more mentally prepared than Rory was because Rory realized on Friday evening how big it was to Ireland and how much it was bigger than him possibly. And, and maybe that's something that Rory will learn from. But in Shane Lowry's case... He was like embracing the crowd. He just, mm-hmm. on that Saturday afternoon, he told his caddy, I said, this, no matter what happens, mate, he said, the next 30 minutes of this thing is probably going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to us in our lives, the way these people are, are just literally singing him down the fairways, mm-hmm. bringing him home, as they say, in Ireland. I know you were probably crying because you're an emotional Scot, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who wasn't? We know, Diane, when Ireland plays Australia or in soccer or rugby or cricket, mm-hmm. all the crowd all sings together to support their group, right? And it's a very, uh, as you say, you know, as we know that Ireland and Northern Ireland, and I don't have all the political correctness when it comes to talking about the different provinces, but that was one country on Sunday afternoon singing, singing uh, Shane Lowry down 18. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it and remembering the scenes from Saturday and from yesterday. Interesting point, and I'm just going to say this, that I think um, there there is a real difference when it comes to, well, Scotland and Ireland are very similar, but... I think over in the US, people kind of put their sporting stars on this pedestal and they're almost untouchable. And it's it's kind of like, OK, we're cheating them on, but they're like in a different league. They're like so above us. I think in Scotland and Ireland, we embrace our people as our own. And it's almost like our sporting heroes are one of us. So I think it's a very different mentality when it comes to like the fans and the likes of Shane Lowry yesterday, because you could tell that they were so happy for him because they feel like he is just like them. And you're right, he just embraced every second of it. Well, I'll tell you a story how, how, 
how beautiful the people are in Scotland. I can't speak so much of Ireland because I've only been there once and I never won a tournament. And I actually haven't won a tournament in Scotland. But when I was runner-up in the 2002 British Open at Muirfield, my, my old caddy, Dave Rennick, who's not with us anymore, who passed away, it was on the bag for me when I won the 95 PGA. He also won the Masters with Jose Maria Olafable, and he also won the PGA with uh, Vijay Singh. So wow. he's the most celebrated Scottish caddy from a little town in called Pumpherston. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to Pumpherston when I went over there with Dave, and I would do exhibitions, and I got to know everyone in the club. Well, when I played at Muirfield and I got beaten that playoff, there was two coach loads of... Pumperston members that came down to watch me play and as you know for the runner-up at the at the open you get a little silver saver almost like a little tray and um, they invited me to go back to the go back to Pumperston that night and I drove back to Pumperston a couple three-hour drive from Muirfield and we went back to the golf club with about a hundred people and we got back about 10 o'clock at night and each one of those members got up in front of um, me and the whole rest of the um, club poured whiskey in the tray drank out of the tray and either sang with the rest of the club or told me about how good it was for them to go down there and do it it was amazing and we we drank whiskey all the way till dawn and then i got driven to the airport to go home i was shattered for about three or four days after but it was well worth it well, Shane Lowry said he was heading straight to Dublin to go and party. And you can imagine he's not going to be at some big fancy hotel or like private dining in a restaurant. He was going to be in the bars. There's an area called the Temple Bar in Dublin. And it's just this kind of like cobbled street that's filled with traditional Irish pubs. And there's live music in each of them. And there is actually one called the Temple Bar. And it's one of the most famous places in all of the world if you want to go and drink and have a good time. And you can just imagine that Shane Lowry was going to be somewhere like that last night. And he's probably still there today and he'll be there for the rest of the week. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be... I remember when the Ryder Cup, when the when the Europe won the Ryder Cup, and we were going over to play the Dunhill Links, and it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. I was playing a practice round. I was playing number seventeen at St Andrews, and I'm mm-hmm. coming past the Jigger Inn, which is on the middle of the fairway on hole seventeen. And I look over to the right, and here's the whole Ryder Cup team out back with pints in their hands. About three o'clock, and this is a couple three days after they won the Ryder Cup. All of them were over there still drinking, so it was fantastic. I think. If I would have been lucky enough, Diane, I think I might have went down to that harbour bar. That harbour bar looked pretty good. Have you ever been to the harbour bar? No, I've never been to that part before. But after watching it, and I'm sure I speak for so many people, after seeing Portrush, the surrounding area, the scenery, the golf course, the surrounding golf courses, I am going to go there. Like, it just looked an incredible place to be. Game of Thrones, a lot of it was filmed there, and it was very scenic, just some of the most stunning scenery I've seen in a long, long time. And as you say, that bar is very, very famous. I definitely want to take a trip and go over there, but it just reminds me of so many bars. You mentioned the Jigger Inn in St Andrews, but so many traditional bars in Scotland and Ireland, and that's just how it is. The locals are there. They sit in the same place every single day. There's like... It's not pretentious. Everyone's just there doing whatever they want to do, and it's good fun. Yeah, and to go, you know, and to go back to Lowry, and why, why did he win it? You know, how did he do it? And, of course, we know that he had this great run, but he has I, – I also noted um, on Twitter earlier in the week that I was watching some film of, of, Steve, uh, of Shane Lowry, and I was looking at his right hand, and I was looking at his swing, and, and um, you know, he has a sort of a, 
uh, I don't want to definitely not uncon- not conventional unconventional very very uh uniform swing but he he has the perfect swing for for uh Lynx golf which the turf as you know over there is very very firm and you know you've got to you've got to hit down on that ball and make it make it do what you want it to do but he has a little different swing action he um he uh has his left wrist is cupped at the top which is a little different than a lot of the good players like Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth but over there, Diane, but I noted on Twitter that his right hand, the way he moved his right hand through the ball, and if, you, if, if anyone wants to go back and look at it, if you watch his right hand, his wrist angle, and it keeps that bend in that right wrist through impact. And what I learned about that, when I went over to um, Scotland and to play in the Lynx golf, I wasn't very good at Lynx golf because I was a sweeper. I used to sweep the ball. And I never became any good at Lynx golf until I learned to hit down on the ball harder. And, and that key ingredient was that right wrist bend for me. And, of course, when I saw it on Lowry, this is before the week started, I just said, I, I wrote simply that that is as good a right wrist action as you can possibly have through the ball. And, of course, that didn't mean he was going to win. It just meant that he has just got the I – think, I think at the beginning of the show I talked about that – uh, perfect storm and again it was like he's got the perfect swing for that course now if he flies on an airplane and goes over to play in memphis it's not the perfect storm for shane lowry you know it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys that are going to hit the ball better in memphis than he is because it's just a different style of golf but this style was built for him what about his pinky? Because th- there was a lot of analysis on this, and I saw you talk about it on Twitter. But his pinky actually comes off the club. Yeah, his pinky, his pinky finger sort of extends, and he because he's pretty big, you know, he he doesn't have a lot of turn in the shoulders, so he sort of lifts the club up, and he's got the left wrist is cupped, but then he comes down pretty steep, and the reason he comes down as he comes down steep with his is his wrist. He's coming down steep and turning it over, and I, I, I actually practice it in my living room, and I feel that pinky finger just sort of losing the momentum. But if you look at the the right thumb and the right forefinger of Shane Lowry's swing, that thing has pressure on it. It's almost like you know you're pushing your finger against the door, you're closing that door with that finger. He keeps that pressure on it just so good, and I just like I don't care about the pinky finger. It's weird, but it's not needed. Well, I mean, there's been so much talk, even with Matthew Wolf just a few weeks ago when he won on the PGA Tour. You've just got to swing your swing and it works and it works for him. And he just got, I mean, his his dreams came true at the Open Championship. It was like a fairy tale ending. It couldn't have been scripted any better. Yeah, and I've, I've always been really um, uh, attracted to the thinking about how guys like Shane Lowry, like Mark Brooks, um, there's a bunch of guys that that rise to the occasion in a major and then they're able to handle that pressure and close it out. Rich Beam, um, there's a bunch of guys that have won one major. Now, you could put me in that category. I've won one, but I was up in a few others and made a few mistakes and um, we've talked about that. But I'm always really intrigued by... How does a guy that's never been in anything close it out? I mean, I know the pressure. Uh, in fact, the disappointment that Shane Lowry had in Oakmont, the one that Dustin Johnson won, where I think Lowry had a four-shot lead, mm-hmm. and he lost that. I think that gave him the um, experience that he needed yesterday. He knew how he was going to feel, and you know, Paul Azinger talked about all these things. But, but realistically. 
bottom line is it's the pain inside of you that you when you leave that you didn't do what you think you could have done and that mm-hmm. pain is what drives you to not want the pain again and of course you know that I had a, a really close run in the 95 British Open at uh, or the Open Championship at St Andrews the one that Constantina Rocker and was in a playoff with John Daly and I was so down that I thought well I'll never be able to do it because I don't have the courage to do it and then three weeks later I was put right back into into position at the PGA at Riviera, and I just said, you know what, I'm going for it, and that was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Well, so happy for him, and as we say, I'm sure the celebrations are going to continue all week. But um, let's talk about Rory McIlroy, because there was so much hope and expectation put on Rory, and if you were to think of the kind of fairy tale before Lowry really got himself into contention after the first round. Rory McIlroy was the one that the people of Northern Ireland were pinning their hopes on. Graham McDowell's from Portrush too, and he was kind of championed as a hometown hero, but there was so much hype around McIlroy. And then he goes out and he shoots an eight over in the opening round. He he missed yeah, the cut I by mean, one. He came back on the Friday a little bit and played an incredible round on Friday, but it wasn't enough. You would like to think that he could have steadied himself a lot better, and I think he would probably say to you today that he may have handled it differently. But you know, it is what it is. Golf is golf has uh, that scorecard is brutal, right? I mean, that JB Holmes yesterday, what he shoot at eighty six or something, yeah. playing in the second last group, it was just yeah. disaster. But you know, I think look, Rory McIlroy was when Tiger Woods was number one in the world and Rory was, you know, had free reign of running up the up the leaderboard and, and racking up majors when Tiger was holding the top of the position, he was great. And when when Tiger stumbled and had all his problems and Rory kind of took over that throne, he had to take on a lot more responsibility and he hasn't been able to sort of calm himself enough yet to be able to sort of take that over. Of course, there's no doubt the talent is <laughs> the most of anyone out there. But, you know, obviously he fights himself a little bit. But then when he does get it going, you know, that's it's unreal. The, the kid shot 60. I was laughing yesterday. I was like, okay, so Shane Lowry has the pro record at 63 at Port Rush, but mm-hmm. Rory has the amateur record at 61 at Port yeah. Rush. I suppose it's different because they had a couple of different holes in this one. But Rory, as you say, the talent is undeniable and he's one of the most talented golfers that we've ever seen. But it just, it was silly mistakes, it seemed like, that were just so costly for him on the first day, on the first tee, hitting the ball out of bounds and then later in the round missed like a couple short putts that were just silly mistakes and it showed that his just his mind was maybe just in another place altogether. Whenever I used to get that way where I would go to Australia or I'd get so anxious about an event and so nervous and worried about how things are going to work out i used to just say to myself <clears throat> how would jack nicholas do this even though i have no not even in the same ability as jack but how would jack think his way through this jack is not going to shoot 79 the first day of that tournament in front of his home crowd so i would say to myself what would jack do would jack play here would jack play there and it would actually help me calm me down because I was like, okay, I don't need to do all that stuff. This is what Jack would do. He'd probably position himself. Let me get my feet underneath myself. Let me mm-hmm. get moving around. But all that being said, they almost the Irish people almost got the best of three worlds. They got a huge disappointment with Rory on Thursday. 
A big boost for him on Friday to almost yeah. make the cut. So Saturday fun. morning, McDowell made a beautiful run, played yeah. really well through the course. Lowry in the afternoon just set the place on fire, and then they got to spend the whole day celebrating themselves on Sunday. I mean, it was the greatest thing ever for Iron Island. I know. It really was. It really was. What about Brooks Kepka? Because it was a major, so of course he was up there. Again, everyone struggled yesterday afternoon. It was The conditions were not easy. But he finished fourth. And for Kepka, he is only the fourth person in history to finish top four in all the majors in one calendar year. He's now number one in the FedEx Cup standings. He's world number one. He doesn't really have much to complain about, but he didn't seem very happy at the end of his day yesterday. Yeah, he, he sort of seemed a little pissed off the whole week. You know, he's like, I'm hitting the ball the best. He wasn't. Uh, actually, Shane Lowry was hitting the ball the best from Greens and Reg. He was putting the worst, he said, but he actually wasn't. He was actually putting better than Shane Lowry. So he's, he's, a, he's living in a bubble a little bit. Of course, unfortunately for him, he had to play with a guy that shot 86 yesterday, which is disaster. But, um, you know, he started off with four bogeys in a row on Sunday, so that ruined the whole thing for him. But, you know, Kepka's year has just been unreal. And whether it's fair or not, the way the media has or has not treated him, I like the guy because he's he's added a new dimension to the golf landscape which is hey this is what i'm doing i don't care if you go off and talk about you know all these other guys but this is where i stand i will be here next time in april ready to go and I'm not doing everything that you guys want me to do. This is what I'm doing. He did. He seemed like he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder all week. But it's kind of just the way he is now. It's the attitude that we expect to get from him, especially at a major, because he knows that he can go out there and beat everyone else. He's got that confidence and he's got reason to have it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he's strong and, um, you know, he's, he's got that incredible strength off the tee. He's pretty intimidating looking to, to play with him. You know, he smashes the ball down the middle. But we saw this week that this was a particular type of golf course that neutralized a lot of the things that Kepka's good at, you know, which was driving the ball 350. Um, it became very apparent to all of us watching that it was, it was going to play dodgem cars, right? You had to stay out of the bunkers. And as soon as you saw someone come go in one, they had to come out sideways. So Kepka will learn, you know, he, he's probably only going to get better. Can he win double-digit majors? Probably. It'll have to be in the next three or four years. I think he's just going to keep going down this track. I don't think he's going to – as much as he sort of seems to not like casual golf, it's hard to be passionate about the sport for, you know, a long time, like someone like me who still loves to play every day if you don't love it that much. Yeah. So I think he's going to push hard. You know, he could be one of these guys that knocks off five or six or ten majors and then disappears. Um, I want to give a quick mention to Robert McIntyre, the young Scottish guy who finished T6, which was amazing for him. Unbelievable. Um, he that By finishing in the top ten, he has stamped his place in the Open next year. But just he was out early yesterday and shot three under in his final round. But did you see that he had a little bit of a thing with Kyle Stanley? I just want to kind of touch on this and just see what you think, because he played alongside Kyle Stanley. Two of Stanley's balls had gone wayward off the tee and into the crowd. And on the final hole, he actually hit Robert McIntyre's caddy's mum. And Stanley didn't shout four off the tee. Now, Robert said to him, 
like, hey, dude, you should be shouting for. And they had a bit of a back and forth about it. They then talked about it in the media and Stanley wasn't happy because he said, this guy's new out here and I don't need to be told by someone else what to do. It, it turned into a bit of an issue over the weekend. There's no issue. He was right. I mean, you... you you, you, when the ball is heading towards uh, other people in the crowd, you know, it's a missile and they have to know that it's coming. And the only reason a player doesn't want to yell out for is they want it to hit somebody and stay, in, stay closer to play. Mm. So it's a very selfish uh, attitude to do that. And, you know, it's been around for a long time. I think they even fine us now if you don't, if you don't, you don't have to yell it out as loud so the person down there hits you, but they kind of get the message. You got to say something mm -hmm. and um, to let people know that it's coming that way. That 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 has been an issue on our tour for years, and and of course yesterday we saw the result of that, which was uh, Ricky Fowler, who you know hit it out of bounds, and they told him it was coming that way, and the marshal jumped out of the way, and it, and it went out of bounds, so it really cost him. So it kind of proves my point to a certain degree. It could just could have hit that marshal quite easily if he didn't know it was coming and stayed in play. Mm -hmm. um, McIntyre, Diane, was interesting, talking about SG Tour app that we had so much fun with this week. Yay, I wanted to pick McIntyre on Sunday morning in my closing day because I knew he was Scottish. I knew he would play good in the in the wind, and I didn't do it. And Terry Okura won the, won the closing day because he picked four guys early in the morning. He had nine under par yesterday of his Amazing. four guys. Can you even believe that? Amazing. Right, let's talk about the SG Tour because I just have one thing to say, and this was big for me because I won a game and I've never won before. <laughs> you certainly and, did. I was uh, I was in that game, Diane, and I even texted you that you won, and you were like, oh, my God, I thank you for this honor because I've never – I don't even check because I know I'm not winning, but uh, – <laughs> No, so we had a lot of fun. You know, we had, you know, uh, week-long games going on. We had a, a, a moving day game that was really well populated by hundreds and hundreds of people that picking four guys that would do well on Saturday. Any four, someone won that with 20 under par. It was amazing, and they didn't even have Lowry. And then Sunday, it's so strategic, Diane, this closing day game where you get to pick any four players and then – you have to like grind through the, with the weather coming on. You you had to grind through the tee times, and I just I choked. I was going to put some four guys up there, teeing off. I was going to take, uh, uh, Barn Rat, okay. and your boy from Scotland, and Russell, and then I was going to backdoor it with someone in the back, someone, but. I, it didn't work out for me. Oh, man. Well, we don't have long to wait because we're going to be doing the SG Tour again for the FedEx Cup playoffs. So this week, it's the WGC, the FedEx St. Jude Invitational, and it's in Memphis. The secondary event is the Reno Tournament on the PGA Tour. Then next week, it's the Wyndham, and then the FedEx Cup playoffs start. This year, there's only three instead of four. I can't believe they're happening so soon, but the game's going to be open for all three of the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to make a few more adjustments. It's going to be great. You know, it's such an interesting time of the year for a number of reasons. You know, I've been watching this FedEx Cup, and I've just, you know, it's taken me a few years to get used to it, but it's, you know, our, our players have got to win points each week. It's it's built so that someone doesn't come on the tour and just has one good week and gets into top 125. You've got to win points all the way along, and Jason Duffner last week played in the Barbasol, and he won some points, but he was overtaken by some other guys. And so now Jason Duffner is scrambling a little bit to finish inside of the top 125. He's going to take this week off because 
he doesn't want to go to Reno because it is at altitude. Mm-hmm, yeah. I used to love to go to the Barracuda event, and uh, I did well out there a few years. It's right on Lake Tahoe. It's one of the great courses. Uh, awesome place. But, of course, all eyes will now go to Memphis. And, Diane, the big difference is going to be coming from those 50-degree weathers at uh, Port Rush, 210 oh degrees down in Memphis. I know. I know. It's going to be a lot. But... I think next week, because next week is the Wyndham and the final regular PGA Tour event of the season before the FedEx Cup playoffs start, we'll we'll really go deep into the FedEx Cup standings and the 125. And then it's on bubble watch, I guess, for three weeks to see who's going to move up and down. But... It's um, yeah, it's an exciting time, and as you say, we've got quite a few of our guys that are in that kind of danger zone that they're in danger of falling out, or they could be moving up. Yeah, I'm looking at them now, and and you know, um, I've got uh, Bronson Bagoon is at 146. We got Chase Wright, who's looking to get inside the top 150, which gives mm-hmm. him unlimited access to the tour. We got JJ Henry's at 200. Uh, we've got Duffner is at 131. Landry, who made a birdie on the last hole last week at John Deere to get to 121, took this week off and lost six spots. That's a lot. Yes. Patton Kazai, who is safe forever, is now at 125th. And now Pat Perez has been safe for 100 years, is at 120. Wow. So things are changing, Diane. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll go into that in more detail next week. But, Elk, final thoughts then, summing up the 2019 Open Championship. Well, I was so happy. Uh, You know, we only had one Australian that made the cut, but I was so happy for Ireland. I was so happy for Shane Lowry. If I had one tip for Shane Lowry, I would absolutely tell him not to change a thing about Mm -hmm. anything that he's doing and uh, just enjoy this you know, this year having that trophy and I don't know how you sign off to, what do you say in Ireland? The the, the luck of the Irish, I guess, was on his side last week. Um, he was definitely feeling it from the crowd because they, did you see the footage of his local golf club, which was about a four hour drive away from Royal Portrush called Esker Hills. And there was not a single space left in that clubhouse because they were all just watching every second of the action and I'm sure they were partying well into the night too. I'm sure that's true and I wrote a a tweet recently that just said I saw that picture and I said and I'll bet you Diane all the juniors are out back this morning practicing their Shane Lowry swings as I would have been if I was a kid in that club. That's so true amazing. Right Elk thank you so much and we'll catch up with you again for the podcast next week. Thanks Diane. (laughs) 